3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate. It's to teach. It's to inform. It's to put it into context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, everyone's focused on the Fed right now. I'm a good reason. I mean, they just gave us that quarter point rate cut that we wanted so badly, right? And that gave the let's say gave a nice boost to the averages and Dow's up 115 points. S&P was up 0.33 percent. Nasdaq up 0.33 percent. Interesting sy- uh, synergy there, huh? But as important as the Federal Reserve might be, can we just say that it's not the only thing that matters? Uh, you know, there are a lot of constraints companies these days that have nothing to do with the Fed. And after hearing from Apple and Facebook after the bell, can you imagine these two huge companies tonight? You know what? It's head-scratching. I mean, they're up, but not enough. So I think we got to devote more attention to uh, a couple things in particular that I have never really talked about on this show. We need to spend more time talking about the lack of time to consume all there is out there, and we need to spend more time talking about the government, meaning the newfound menace of government when it comes to classic digitized now big business. While Facebook and Apple both reported strong numbers, I think their stock should have been up much more than they are in After Hours. I mean, they're good, but I expected great. You know what? I'm sensing some skepticism here. Skepticism creeping in about both of them. And I suspect some of it has to do with the twin constraints of time and government. So we're going to define these. What do I mean by them? All right, let's start with time. This one's simple. There are only so many hours in a day. Lately, it feels like we're constantly hearing about new television or entertainment or sports packages that you can stream over the Internet for $5 to $15 a month. Each of these services offers thousands of hours of programs. Netflix, HBO, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Apple TV+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Peacock, CBS, All Access, Showtime, Star, Cinemax, you name it. I mean, then you got the Electronic Arts and the Activision, the Take-Two, and you can play them on systems made by Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo. You can sign up for the NFL Sunday ticket. Watch all the football you need. You can sit on your couch and scroll through your Instagram feed while ordering delivery from nearby restaurants, including Wingstop, which we have one tonight. Uh, And you can get the same-day delivery or next-day delivery from Amazon unless you prefer to buy online and pick up in the store at Costco or Walmart. But you know what we don't have? We don't have enough hours in a day to enjoy all the stuff that I just talked about. Not enough time, even if you quit your job and learn how to go without sleep, the latter of which I've got down cold. We also don't have a one-stop shop where everything's at your fingertips, which brings us to the second more powerful limitation, the government. The regulators don't want any of these companies to create a one-stop shop because uh, then they'd be too powerful. When it comes to FAANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, now, often time and government are far more important to their future earning streams than the Fed or the trade war with China. They are. But I don't think most investors realize how critical these two factors have become. Yes, and China does matter. Apple had some great China numbers, by the way. And the Fed does matter in terms of trying to figure out how much we should pay for stocks. But listen, this, so on the day when Apple and Facebook, both reported really terrific numbers. I'm now wondering if these two companies are so powerful that the good news can actually become sort of, sort of weird bad news. Has success been so politicized in this country to the point where they're afraid of crowing, where they're muted? Apple's service revenue stream just gets better and better. If they wanted to, they could just buy the rights to the NFL. If they could buy the NFL, after all, Apple could afford it. They could afford anything. And it would bring in tens of millions of viewers if they bought the uh, NFL Sunday ticket. Uh, it would be perfect for the streaming service. But I suspect they won't go that way because, you know, in some ways they've gotten too big. They don't want to give the government more of an excuse to crack down. Plus, Apple CEO Tim Cook pretty much assured me tonight when I spoke to him that they will grow content themselves. They don't want to be a catalog. That's fine, but you know what? I long for the old days when I preferred world domination via acquisition, or at least I did until politics reared its ugly head, Um, or her head to be ecumenical. Facebook. They're trying to develop a cryptocurrency. I don't know it seemed good to me. It's kind of a novel idea. But they faced enormous resistance from Congress. As I, wa- as I was watching the House turn Mark Zuckerberg into a piñata not long ago, all I could think of was, well, what happens if Facebook wants to get into payments? I and mean, will they be allowed to? Are they going to come down hard on that? What if they want to support certain merchants? Will they be regarded as playing favorites? Anything they do now is subject to scrutiny. Heck, Twitter just stopped taking political ads because they couldn't handle the pressure. Too much hassle. Well, isn't that the new normal? These days you need to care about this stuff. In the old days, before we had trillion dollar companies, before we had superpowered devices that you have to pry from our cold dead hands, before antitrust enforcement started making an nature a comeback, I really only cared about the numbers. How fast was the company growing? How much money was it earning? What were we willing to pay for these earnings? Here's who I was. That was me. Sure you had to factor in the unemployment rate and wages. You had to fret about inflation, you had to worry about the Fed. Still do. Although right now, the Federal Reserve is playing ball. Fed Chief Jay Powell did exactly what he needed to do today, making calm statements at his pre- press conference, where he explained why we needed a quarter-point hike, mostly because of a potential for worldwide slowdown. Potential, by the way. coupled with a sense that things aren't too crazy here in the U.S. Hey, that created a benign backdrop, uh, which allowed a whole host of stocks to rally, especially the cloud plays. Because they thrive in a in a slowing economy, And they really took off today. They finally turned around. Still, in the old days, you rarely needed to worry about regulation. At least, not since Reagan was sworn in 38 years ago. You didn't need to consider that the consumer might not have enough hours in a day to consume all the content that the media companies were producing. But these days, these constraints have become real, and content is very expensive to produce. Thank you, Barry Diller, this morning's Squawk Box. Hey, by the way, new set. We need to start recognizing that there's simply not enough time for people to enjoy all the diversions on offer. From a stock picking perspective, that means you need to be more circumspect about these companies that require the consumer's attention. In other words, there's just too much darn competition. We've already seen it happen in the food delivery space where Grubhub's being eaten alive by Postmates, DoorDash, Uber Eats. I think the streaming video spaces may get, get too difficult. With so many new services launching over the next few months, maybe that's the real casualty here. The problem is there are only a handful of companies that offer you a genuinely great user experience at an incredible price. And in some ways, those companies have become too successful for their own good. And those companies are Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet. They've become so big and so powerful that the regulators and many in Congress want to put a stop to their expansion. They certainly won't be allowed to keep consolidating. Now, it might be more convenient for us if Facebook owned Twitter and Snap and Shopify. But that's textbook anti-competitive behavior, and the regulators now will never allow it. It might be, make it an easier viewing experience if Apple owned the rights to the NCAA, the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball. Again, that ain't going to happen. Maybe it would make sense for Alphabet to acquire Walmart in order to teach Amazon a lesson. Maybe it makes sense for Amazon to take over FedEx so we can get next-day delivery anywhere on Earth. But the regulators will never allow that. And that's probably a good thing, by the way I know it. They wouldn't buy Walmart, but they would buy Target. Now, we keep buying the cloud kings, and that works. Stocks like Salesforce, Workday, ServiceNow, on fire there, Salesforce. But you know what? They've gotten so big that they're bumping up against each other. And the government's not going to let Adobe or Salesforce roll them up. The bottom line, starting tonight, with these two big stellar earnings reports that should have generated gigantic moves in stocks, we need to recognize that for many of the largest companies in this market, Companies I love. Time and government antitrust enforcement are going to matter a whole lot more than the Fed going forward. You need to factor in the clock and learn to separate the things that give you more minutes from the things that devour your time. And you need to understand that the bigger Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Alphabet get, the more pushback they'll get from Washington. Fact of life. Get used to it. Colin in New York. Colin. Jim, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure.
1: I wanted to get your thoughts on Virgin Galactic, symbol SPCE. The stock has taken a big hit since going public earlier this year. Oh, I'm sorry, I hit the.
3: Well, let me self, just say, I mean, here's the way self, I feel self. about Virgin Galactic. I mean, when I come to terms with the self, situation, self, I say, well, you know what? I'm not really into it. Uh, it's a, a novelty. It's kind of like um, it's something new and different. It belongs, like maybe, like you know, in your closet. Bill in New Hampshire, Bill. Jim, thank you for taking my call. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. I love your show. Thank you. Uh, my question my question deals with waste management. I've had it for over 18 years. It's done extremely well, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, last week was a disaster. Uh, some days it was down $3. Right. I'm at a loss as to... The reason for it, and I was wondering if anyone would know it would be the legend. So can you help me out? Yeah, I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you to buy it. I have a friend, Bill Detweiler, from uh, New Hampshire. This is probably not the same bill. I don't detect the same accent. I think that Waste Management had a really good quarter. And I think that people are just down on the stock for no particular reason. Fish is good. That's not the protein that you get, like, when you go to Milos. That's the name of the CEO. And I think that Waste Management is, plain and simple, something that I thought... I should be buying for the Chapel Trust, and I'm going to put it on the list tomorrow and do the work, even more work than I have. Bill, you got a winner. I'm not kidding. Waste management's come down too much. All right. Now, look, I think Facebook's up big, but it should be bigger. I think Apple's up big, but not enough. And now I'm starting to worry about these unseen existential crises, things like time and government, because otherwise I think these stocks would be much higher. Yes, they all look good. Hey, how about mad money tonight? Wingstop, which is not, by the way, worried about antitrust, it's down, it sucks down nearly 16% over the past three months. Does the company need more than a wing and a prayer, <laughs> or is now the perfect time to take a bite? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then, is it time to pump up the volume on Spotify, which would be an example of something that should be bought by one of these great companies, but would be shut down by antitrust? And it's an under-the-radar housing play that offers a read on the overall sector and also makes it so I have, don't have to do my deck one more time. I'm talking about tracks. Don't miss my exclusive to the CEO. And I may suggest that you stick with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer hashtag# Madtweets. Send Jim an email to Madmoney at cnBC.com or give us a call. At 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash card.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com to start saving. For their stock to fly high, this company needs to give you wings. Whether saddling up for a big game or testing their tolerance for Buffalo-style heat, Can consumers make Wingstop a stock to sink your teeth into?
3: The worst thing about earnings season is it doesn't always make sense. Sometimes the market's just plain wrong about a quarter. And watching that play out could be incredibly frustrating. Just look at the stock of Wingstop. This morning, the beer and chicken wings chain reported what I consider a serious contender for the best third quarter in the entire restaurant space, that space is challenged. Listen to what Wingstop did. They posted a 3-cent earnings beat off 17-cent basis with higher-than-expected revenue. And most importantly, their same-store sales were mind-blowing, up 11.9% year-over-year. Even better management raised their full-year forecast. And what happens? Well, the stock actually got hit this morning before only rebounding a tiny bit, closed up 1.5%. Yet Wingstop, well, let me just say... It shot the lights out. i got to tell you, this reaction is incredibly dispiriting. Wingstock's been pummeled for the past couple of months. we border a rotation out of growth stocks and into value names. Normally, when a stock sells off going into earnings and then the numbers are much better than expected, that's a recipe for a huge rally. Yet, for some reason, Wingstock's in the Rodney Dangerfield mode. It can't get no respect. I think the market's making a mistake here. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Charlie Morrison, the chairman and CEO of Wingstop, find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Morrison, welcome back to Make Money.
1: Great to be here, Jim. How are you? Uh, well, Charlie, i got to tell you, I'm confused. You
3: had by far the best number. I mean, there wasn't anyone even close. Uh, and yet there may be Chipotle, maybe not. But it, it, and every, all the the owners of Wingstops are making incredible money with a small format, which is incredible. It's in itself. Tell me what's going on in the industry that people believe that the best times are behind them, including for Wingstock.
1: Well, I don't believe the best times are behind us at all. We've had a great track record of consistent positive same-store sales growth. This year uh, will culminate in our 16th consecutive year of positive same-store sales growth. Great unit development on pace for another 10% plus uh, delivery in terms of new unit growth for the brand. Uh, We have all the right sales drivers in place, including uh, increasing our national advertising, the advent of digital, now at 36% of our total business mix, and and a growing delivery business that now comprises 80% of our restaurants. So we have a bright future ahead of us, a lot of runway for growth, um, not only here in the U.S., but across the world.
3: I wanted to ask you about across the world because I think your formula is uniquely, uh, let's say, transcends borders. Uh, I've seen it with, mm-hmm. with KFC. I think Wingstop offers a better value, frankly. Uh, how aggressive can you be overseas knowing that at the same time it is far away and you want it to go right in terms of quality?
1: Well, I think we have a lot of potential. In fact, probably as big as the opportunity we have here in the U.S. alone. Chicken is the most consumed protein in the world. Bone-in chicken, just like chicken wings, is a favorite uh, and a fan favorite everywhere in the world. Our unique flavors, The ability to have variety for everyone makes our brand very portable, and I think you see that in our performance so far. Roughly 140 restaurants just so far, but we're already emerging as one of the top casual dining plays in Mexico. That franchisee just signed a new development agreement to more than double their penetration to up to 200 restaurants in Mexico alone. We just opened up in London, our second location. Great results in both of those so far, very early in the process. We have a long way to go. All right, Charlie, I was on the Grubhub conference call yesterday.
3: It's kind of dispiriting, frankly, because uh, the company seems to have uh, hit a wall, so to speak. And it's a venture capital wall. It's not a wall by their own making. Uh, It seems to me that their pain uh, is Wingstop's gain. Am I reading it wrong?
1: Well, I think we've done a lot of research in the space over the past few years as we got ready to implement delivery this year into our business. We took a very methodical approach. One thing we like about our partnership with DoorDash is that they're focused on the merchant, us, our franchisees, making sure that they're delivering a great logistics solution that's profitable not only for our franchisees, but for them as well. We recently just renegotiated our contract with them. Um, we're getting ready to start advertising delivery next year. We're very bullish on the opportunity and the upside that our uh, committed partnership with DoorDash has to play for the future.
3: I'm trying to figure out how they make money because, you know, frankly, if, if it's free uh to the customer that's an unbelievable deal uh why would you know i know i'm supposed to ask them but they're private why would anyone agree to that kind of deal Uh, it's particularly because they're sharing all the information about the customer with you so you've got all the digital stuff
1: you need well i mean they make money certainly and they make money three different ways they do charge a fee for delivery which all the pizza players have done for years as we know um, they also have a small commission that we pay to them for the facilitation of the service, which offsets the labor that we would otherwise have to invest in the business. The last piece is a tip on the transaction that's paid by the customer to the driver. If you combine the three of those together, DoorDash can make money off a brand, especially like Wingstop. We have a higher average check, a lot of takeout business already. Delivery is a perfect fit. And I think if you maximize that uh, that equation, everybody's going to win.
3: Were you surprised about the uh, notion of the promiscuous consumer? That they talked about in the grub up shareholder letter.
1: Yeah, we wouldn't refer to them that way. We call them loyal consumers—people who want to make sure that they're enjoying a quality occasion. And that's why we picked DoorDash as our player. They have the best uh, solution for a quality occasion that matches up with exactly what Wingstop consumers are expecting out of us. So it's a win-win in the relationship for us.
3: Uh, national advertising, something that I know the franchisees absolutely love. Are you getting, when you see national advertising, more door knocks, more companies saying, you no, know, more guys saying, listen, I own 18 McDonald's. I want 18 Wingstops. Will you let me do that? Is that what national advertising also does besides bringing in the doors?
1: Definitely. In markets that are emerging, that are growing for us, that haven't been penetrated beyond 25 or 30% of their potential, we are seeing that kind of sentiment from uh, both our existing franchisees who want to continue to grow, and they make up 80% of the development of the brand each and every year. But we also have a lot of attractive new prospects that are coming in the door saying just what you said. Let me take an opportunity to expand this great brand, and we're winning with them.
3: Well, one last question, Charlie. I know the market may not appreciate all the great things you're doing, but you have been very good to shareholders. You're never afraid to pay uh, pay a special dividend, return a lot of capital. Stock down here, don't you feel like rewarding them a little more?
1: (laughs) We're going to continue to reward them. You know, since our IPO in 2015 our total shareholder return has approached 400%. That's the inclusion of just the growth in the business plus those special dividends and return of capital to shareholders. We're going to continue that strategy well into the future.
3: Well, Charlie, you're a money machine, and the customers love what you're doing. I think the delivery is so unbelievably good. I want to thank you for everything you've done for shareholders. It's always great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it very yeah. much. Guys, this is a one of a kind. all right? Charlie Morrison just keeps delivering and delivering. They have a lot of cash. They have a lot of things they can do uh, for you to reward you. This stock is right to buy in an environment where I know that yum was not. And money's back after the break.
0: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
3: We talked at the top of the show about the ideas that consume your time. Well, how do you know when one of those, one of those ideas has the right place at the right time to buy the stock? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the top of the show and I'm thinking about Spotify. I don't know if you know Spotify, but it's the world's largest music streaming service Where the stock became public a little more than a year and a half ago. After initially roaring right out of the gate, the stock rolled over at the end of last year, along with everything else, and it never really recovered from that meltdown. It was almost as if its time had not yet come. But when it opened, everyone was so darn excited, including me. On Monday, though, at last, Spotify reported a fantastic quarter, and its stock surged nearly $20 or 16% in a single day. Maybe some vindication for me? So is Spotify an idea whose time has come? Maybe, but as someone who started recommending this thing pretty much the moment it came public... Well, let me just tell you, I've been burned every single time that I have said it's the right thing to buy. Every time I thought we had a sustainable rally, and I was wrong. Every time it gained momentum, it swiftly lost that momentum. Even when the company reported what I thought were good numbers in the past, Wall Street would always find something to nitpick about, and then the stock would get hit. But you know what? This time, this time was different. There was nothing to nitpick with this quarter. And it feels like the market's finally giving Spotify the credit it deserves. But will the newfound love for this stock last? I know when I spoke with them on Monday, I sensed that maybe it's for real this time, but I've been wrong. But let me tell you why I think we will be more upside. First, you need to understand that Spotify is a terrific concept. They give away their huge library of music content if you're willing to listen to ads. But you know what? You can pay up for an ad-free experience, and there's a great migration that comes from the advertising people to the ad-free the company's got 248 million monthly active users, which includes 113 million paying subscribers. That's a unique club, the 100 million plus club. It's growing like a weed and it has totally transformed the music industry. However, for most of its existence as a publicly traded company, Spotify struggled to find its groove. They've now reported seven quarters since the public listing in April of 2018. And while management's delivered some impressive numbers, five outright revenue beats, and just two very small misses, even positive earnings reports have failed to become positive catalysts for the stock, as you can tell from this incredible depiction, until two days ago. All right, what was Spotify's problem? Why did people not like it? Well, there are a couple of issues we can go over. For one thing, it's never been crystal clear exactly which metrics investors should care about the most. Remember at the top of the show, I talked about time and, and I talked about government. What if Those are metrics that we're trying to factor in. What were the factors that you needed to know here? Was it total monthly average users? Was it paid subscribers? Was it revenue? See, there was no consensus on Wall Street. So whenever Spotify reported an upside surprise with some hair on it, there's always someone willing to argue that the negatives outweighed the positives. Second, Spotify's a European company. And it gets a huge chunk of its revenues from the United States, though. So you have these ridiculous currency fluctuations, and they often make it very difficult to, to interpret the, uh, the numbers. For example, the last time they reported three months ago, the sales and earnings were fantastic, but the paid subscriber numbers came in weaker than expected. Some analysts upgraded the stock and raised the price targets, but others told you the paid subscriber forecast was all that mattered and downgraded the stock. Yeah, at the same time, we had upgrades and downgrades. Always a curious situation. So it ended up that, well, it got hit on the news. But then it rallied to its uh, year-to-date highs a couple of days later. Pure confusion. Third and most important, Spotify's management is incredibly non-promotional. The team, led by the straight-shooting chairman and CEO Daniel Ekhas, developed a reputation for giving conservative guidance on their conference calls. Now, personally, this is one of the things I love about Spotify. I prefer executives who practice the art of Upod under Promise and Over deliver. Two executives who overpromise and underdeliver really break our hearts. Unfortunately, there were times when the company would report stellar results, but then management's forecast sounded tepid. And investors gave up on the stock because of it. So I want to use a technical term about what happened on his conference call, so you really understand. No mojo. Meanwhile, not everyone was confident in management's long-term strategy. At the beginning of the year, Spotify announced that it was making a major move into podcasting. I thought this was brilliant, too. This is another mistake I made. They acquired Gimlet Media for content and Anchor, a platform that helps people create podcasts. And Look, I didn't hear it just because it happens to be in Brooklyn about five blocks from me. This move was greeted with skepticism by others, and the bears only got more hammer when Apple told us they were getting into the same business over the summer. Now, all along, I know I've been positive on Spotify, except during a, temp- a moment of temporary weakness when the stock hit was hit by a savage rotation out of growth and into value. The bull thesis is simple. Spotify is a huge beneficiary from the rise of the subscription economy. These days, consumers don't really care about ownership anymore. They're happy to pay for a monthly subscription service that gives them access to a huge library of content at bargain basement price. Plus, Spotify's always had impressive numbers. It's been very frustrating to watch the stock flounder, even as they kept delivering solid results. Over the summer, though, investors started fretting that the company was experiencing a subscriber growth shortfall. In August, the company extended their free trial period from one month to three months, which made people worry that the streaming music space must be getting more competitive. So when Spotify reported that fabulous quarter on Monday, thank heavens, Well, they didn't just deliver better than expected numbers. They also put many of these concerns to bed. They finally delivered exactly what I thought that they were going to deliver and then some. The company posted terrific better than expected sales, up 28% year over year. Remember, this is big numbers, people. They generated 54 million euro operating profit. Street was looking for 30 million euro loss. Spotify's monthly average users grew by 30% to 248 million. That's 5 million more than the analysts expected. That includes higher-than-anticipated premium subscribers at 113 million, up 31% year-over-year, and much higher-than-expected ad-supported users, up 29%. Even though management once again gave conservative guidance at least at the time it was in line with Wall Street's expectations, they even raised their monthly average user forecast for the next quarter. There was very little to quibble about. When you drill down, it is clear that Spotify... It is firing on all cylinders. There is no bear case that I can find now. Their international growth was tremendous. Their business in Latin America, wow, I couldn't believe how strong. Southeast Asia, I asked the uh, CFO about it, accelerated dramatically. India outperforming management's forecast by 30%. Spotify's been fiddling with its platform to improve subscriber retention. These changes are clearly working. How about the podcast business? Wall Street's been so skeptical. Spotify pointed out they're seeing exponential growth in podcast hours streamed, up 39% versus last quarter. Uh, Not last year, Last quarter! Management adds that, and I quote, for music listeners who do engage in podcasts, we are seeing increased engagement and increased conversion from ad supported to premium. End quote. That's the holy grail. Then they continue, quote, some of the increases are extraordinary. Almost too good to be true. End quote. Holy cow. Finally, Spotify gave us more color on their two-sided marketplace initiative. They want to give up-and-coming musicians tools to help connect with an audience and develop their careers. Isn't that great? This could be a huge source of revenue, too, down the line. Magic told us they'll have more financial details the next time they report. No wonder the stock caught fire on the news. The numbers were almost universally better than expected. The much-doubted push into podcasts is paying off in a major way. People love podcasts. We all know there's positive catalyst down the road, thanks to the two-sided marketplace initiative. So could this at last be the beginning of a longer-term rally for Spotify that I thought from the beginning but have been wrong about? It wouldn't be the first newly uh, public company that took a long time to find its groove. Hey, by the way, we saw the same thing happen with two of my absolute favorites in 2016 and 17, Okta and Kupa. It took a little while. Oh, but once they caught fire, wow. And you know what? And the same thing goes for Facebook. Big swoon, then monster rally. But once they found their footing, they gave you spectacular long-term gains. Oh, by the way, Netflix had its troubles, too, before it took the bull by the horns. You know who was one of the architects of that company's strategy of matching your taste with your films in a predictive artificial intelligence fashion? The retiring, retiring Spotify CFO, Barry McCarthy, whom I interviewed on Monday. Oh, he will most certainly be missed. And I always think of him when we use Spotify at our restaurants. And it mine reads what our collective customers want, the bottom line. I think Spotify will be just fine. I think it's terrific. The company just reported a game-changer of a quarter. And after that rally, the stock's basically back to where it was when it came public in a direct listing last year. And you know what? I know this looks steep. You ain't seen nothing yet. Bill in Georgia. Bill! Hello, this is Bill in Georgia. Jim, I watched Broken Bailey out for many years. I bought Roku and had a 20% gain approximately. Now I held the stock, it dropped, now I have a 6 to 7% loss. Should I hold or sell? this is a wild one Roku when you every time you see a new system come out uh, a new uh, you know David Faber with an unbelievable interview about Time Warner and their HBO on the go what happens people buy Roku and so I have to tell you sir I don't think that one's done I think that one can still go higher All right this could be the beginning of a long-term rally in Spotify uh, I'm serious it may just you know, I got it wrong again. I've said that five times. I like to say when I got it wrong because I like to also say when I got it right. Like with Apple, like with Facebook. Okay, there's much more mad money ahead. Trex has been on fire. There's another one i have like. A care for so, so far this year. But it's recent earnings miss. Uh, well, they gave you a red flag in their own conference call. I'm going to sit down with the CEO to find out what's on deck <laughs> for the company going forward. Then it's a group of stocks priced for total per- imperfection. I'm gonna reveal what they are and what you should do with them. Of course, Robin Fire. Yes, lightning round. So stay with Kramer. just happened to the stock of Trex. It's the world's largest manufacturer of wood alternative decking and, and railing products. Trex makes composites that look just like real wood, but require a lot less maintenance. And until yesterday, it was one of the hottest stocks around, thanks to the rally in all things housing and housing related. But when the company reported on Monday night, they disappointed Wall Street. While Trex delivered a four cent earnings beat off of a 68 cent basis, they had a revenue shortfall. And the guidance for next quarter was, I think, rather subdued. Imagine talked about 14% growth, down from 70% this past quarter. In response, the stock got hammered, plunged from 91 to 84. I don't know about this. I think Trex has been a terrific long-term performer, which is why I want to dig deeper to figure out what went wrong and if it will be fixed soon or if it isn't already. So let's check in with Jim Klein, he's the president and CEO of Trex, get a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Klein, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thank Have you, a Jim. seat. Great to see, Great to see, see you, soon. Jim. Uh, From time to time, stocks had a hiccup. Every time it's had a hiccup, I said buy because the long-term thesis is is intact. It's intact. Your product's better than wood. It's cheaper long-term in terms of maintenance. Uh, It's made of uh, things that the millennials wanted to be made of. Uh, It cuts down on pollution. None of that's changed, right?
4: Uh, None of it's changed. The long-term opportunity is still there. We're still
3: 95% recycled
4: content. So
3: the story is strong. Okay, so in the conference call, you said uh, commercial products, net sales from commercial products was below our expectations in part due to market conditions and in part to the uneven nature of that business. Nat said to me, well, wait a second, maybe I'm too bullish. Well,
4: you got to remember that this is a very small portion of our product portfolio, only about 6 or 7%. Uh, it does not drive the earnings as the residential does. Residential is... Repair and remodeling, not new construction, 90%, 95% repair and remodeling.
3: Okay, Uh, well talk to me about you had significant capacity investments uh, and how long do you expect that increased capacity can support Trex's long-term growth? Well,
4: the uh, capacity we're putting on has started to come online, but most of it comes online in 2021, early 2021. So we're building that capacity for the future. We introduce new products. The demand for those new products is far stronger than what we'd anticipated. Okay. And we see a super opportunity for a long-term run with the stock.
3: Now, every time you've been on, you've been talking about the real competition is wood, uh, but there are now some other players with some capital. And are they nipping at your heels, or is the business so big that we shouldn't worry about competitors to tracks?
4: Well, uh, I I do focus on wood. That is the largest opportunity. About uh, 84% of the lineal feet sold is wood. Right. So focusing on a competitor is not really helpful in my mind.
3: Okay, that's important for me because I'm thinking margins were a little bit under pressure. Maybe that was because of price cutting, but also just because you're expanding so fast that sometimes that happens. Well,
4: it does, and we had margin expansion for the second quarter. We see the fourth quarter as being another strong quarter for Trex. And we've guided 2020 as being a high-growth uh, year for us, uh, double-digit.
3: Now, I just uh, had a nice interview with Jim Fitterling. He's the CEO of Dow, and he's just a terrific guy. And I approached the idea that, you know what, these younger money managers are different from you and me, Jim. Uh, they think plastic, and they say, you know what, I don't care if it's good. They're not going to buy it. When you meet younger managers, are there people who say, you know what, I want to buy this because this is the future.
4: Well, I think there's two things that the younger managers see. Number one, they like the recycled content that we have. That is a big plus. The other thing they see is millennials look for the same thing baby boomers look for. They don't want to maintain that deck. We offer that opportunity.
3: Now, uh, when we talk about the recycled uh, I wasn't clear whether there was, was there cost pressure on recycled? You said at one point in the call, it seemed like that, there, that your costs were elevated to get the stuff that you used to recycle.
4: No, the recycled material has actually been a slow drift downwards. Okay. Uh, either because of the Chinese getting out of the acquisition of plastics, letting it come into their country, but probably equally as important we've been more selective in the type of plastics we buy. Okay.
3: Now, every time you've come on, you've had new uses, new things, stadiums you've done, you've done planking all over the place. What's the new stuff for Trex? What are you thinking about now that people didn't think the Trex could be in? Well, the
4: opening price point product, uh, it sells at $1.75 at major retailers. It is taking the category by storm. Uh, Our competition have introduced products similar to ours, but they're priced a little bit higher. And we think
3: that's where a lot of the growth will come in the near term. Now, how about the lower interest rates? Because we're finally seeing, I mean, there were mortgage purchase numbers just this morning that showed me that people should stop doubting what happens when rates come down. It's good for housing.
4: It's absolutely good for housing. Uh, people have a little bit more money in their pockets, So repair and remodeling comes top of mind to them.
3: And when they repair a model, I mean, for instance, I've got a deck that I, I just switch, I switched to Trex. How many of these people are coming in and saying, you know what, it's worth the investment? Because the, Carl Tomei used to be the CFO of Home Depot. She always told me, listen, there's expense and there's invest. And that as soon as you think your house is going to go up in value, you're not expensing, you're investing. Are people investing in their home
4: with Trex? Uh, we 're seeing more and more of that uh, in in particular at the opening price point level and the mid price point level okay. They like to be able to get into that ultra low maintenance and not have to worry about replacing that wooden deck in ten years
3: now uh, also i 'm trying to figure out whether um, when I see uh, a stadium, should I presume now that what looks like wood is trex not
4: in the stadiums yet. There, okay. there are a couple of stadiums that are putting up like beer gardens, right. and they are using uh, Trex material for that.
3: Why haven't they used it? I mean, this is to me the most natural one. In a stadium, I just don't understand. Trex is longer lasting, it's better than plastic, it looks fabulous. People care about the stuff.
4: Uh, they, they do, and it's easy to clean up. So it's a great play for uh, uh, industrial applications or, for example, the stadiums.
3: Well, I got to tell you, I. I think that a lot of times what's happened in this, in this market is people are nitpicking. And to me, it sounds like the story is great as ever. I've been behind it because the, I have to, candidly, my two kids love the recycle aspect. I like the fact that I use the decking and it works. And I want to thank you so much for coming on. That's Jim Klein. He's president and CEO of Trex. I don't know if you have a house and you haven't used it. I don't know what you're doing. money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light rounders. The light rounders go to one more. And then the round is over. Are you ready, Skate! it's time for the light rounders. Let's start with Jeff in Ohio. Jeff,
1: the big hiking hills. Booyah to you, Jim. <laughs> of course. What's up? <laughs> um, cedar Cedar Fair.
3: Cedar Fair is up, and you know what? Bye, bye, bye. Six Flags is down. So, so, so. You got the right one, Sandusky, Ohio. How about Crystal in California? Crystal.
2: Hello, Mr. Kramer. My stop is Square, SQ.
3: I think Square's too low. I am warm. I, you know, I've been bye, saying bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Look, ever since Sarah Fryer left, ever since it. left, it's done nothing. I think it's time to start thinking that maybe it should do something. Let's go to Dade in Virginia. Dave. U.S. Treasury, booyah! MGM, Jimbo. Hey, Gary, in the U.S. bonds, booyah! I think that MGM just reported it was looking at a pretty good quarter, from what I can tell. I think that Jim Murin should do more in the sports betting world. Okay, let's go to Judy, 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 and Marilyn. Judy. Hello, Kramer. We love your show. Aw, oh, you're very kind. What? What do you think of IDEX Labs Incorporated? I like the humanization of pets. I think that it's the best way to play it. And I also want to extend uh, good wishes to John Ayers, who I know is uh, dealing with some medical issues. He stepped down. Uh, He's a great man. And, John, you know we think that you've done a remarkable job, and you love pets just like us. Let's go to Janet in Texas. Janet. Jim, this is Janet in Horseshoe Bay,
0: Texas. And okay. I'm telling about the number one 5G stock called Marvel Technology.
3: All right. You know, someone stopped me on the street the other day and said, "Jim, give me two stocks." I said, "Well, I usually like to. Do that. I'm going to give you CVS and I'm going to give you Marvel because it's number one play on 5G." And that ladies going to the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: Look, I know big pharma is not exactly beloved by Wall Street right now, but tonight, right here, I'm going to say that at this point in the earnings season, that these stocks have become absurdly cheap versus the competition. So cheap that you got to buy buy, them. Let's take them off first. How about Merck? This amazing company has a groundbreaking cancer immunotherapy drug called Keytruda. It did three billion dollars in sales this quarter. This is easily on track to be one of the biggest blockbusters in history, maybe the biggest. Yet Merck stock, 16 times earnings. That's nuts. Pfizer just reported an upside surprise. Well, that doesn't happen often. I expected Pfizer actually to give you a shortfall now that its wonder drug Lyrica is off patent. But instead, they delivered. Yet somehow this stock trades at 14 times next year's earnings. And with a 3.8% yield? Are you kidding me? Biogen may have come up with a way to treat Alzheimer's. They can't stop it, but they might be able to slow it down. The analysts were all skeptical initially. Now, one by one, they're being converted. I think they'll ultimately all be believers. Why? Because Biogen resumed this work at the behest of the FDA. There's still more holes than buys on it, which sells for nine times next year's earnings. I'm sorry. That's insane. This is a $54 billion company that could be worth double. Last night, Amgen reported a better-than-fiered quarter. That didn't require management to cut their forecast. Amen! I'm calling out a win with these guys. Amgen's starting to win back major market share in the migraine business. Their key franchise, Amavig, had been uh, the market leader until Eli Lilly started making major inroads with the drug distributors and the drug stores. Amgen hasn't done such a good job. Last year, I was on the phone with McKesson for hours to order my Amavig, and even though when I got They wouldn't even send it to where I wanted it to go. They were horrendous. Now, though, Amgen's uh, getting the thing into the drugstores. On top of that, I think they're just scratching the surface with this psoriatic arthritis drug that they bought from Celgene because Celgene had to sell it, according to the government, to merge with Bristol-Myers. Hey, speaking of Bristol-Myers, it had a superb quarter, too. I expect the Celgene deal will make them a fortune once it closes in December. I know the stock has spiked here, but it still has nearly 3% yield. It sells for just 12 times next year's earnings. I've been saying for 10 points now, by Bristol Myers, I reiterate. While AbbVie hasn't reported yet, I'm confident the numbers will be good. More importantly, AbbVie's acquisition of the undermanaged Allergan should be amazing. No, I'm not worried about Botox's challengers. I'm excited about its new migraine pill to deal with pounding pain. As a spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I can tell you that the concept of acute care for migraine is a very big deal. There's nothing out there aside from standard painkillers, which I regard, frankly, as a joke played on sufferers like me. This drug could be huge. Novartis is under pressure because one of their subsidiaries got caught tampering with clinical trial data, although the drug almost certainly would have been approved anyway. I think the problem will soon be solved. 15 times next year's earnings by GlaxoSmithKline. CEO Emma Wamsley has moved heaven and earth to turn Glaxo into a more R&D-focused pharmaceutical company. It's working. She's clobbering the competition. Eli Lilly got hit over some glitch in diabetes drugs, but it's coming right back. AstraZeneca. Some are worried that their strength in in their cancer franchise was chimerical. I think it's the real deal, although the stock has run too much at this point. I don't want you to chase it, which brings us to the real anomaly, the one that is driving me crazy. Yes, of course, it's the elephant in the room. It's Johnson & Johnson. Now, the bears will tell you that J&J is no longer a drug company. It's really more like a law firm that happens to have a sideline in pharmaceuticals, medical devices. These days, the stock trades based on litigation. Last night, J&J revealed that they can't find any asbestos in the talc they recently recalled. They hired a third party to conduct massive numbers of tests like the FDA did. Well, that allowed the stock to rally 2.9 percent. Still, tip of the iceberg. J&J's got opioid lawsuits. They got the original talc lawsuits. Could end up being very expensive. I think the stock will remain tough to own until we get some resolution here. That said, this too shall pass. I'm betting my channel trust money that J&J comes out on the other side of this in good shape. But you can't own this unless you can take a lot of pain. At the end of the day, though, nearly all these drug stocks are just too cheap. They're trading as though Elizabeth Warren's going to win in a landslide next year with a large enough majority in Congress to establish price controls. They are, they are priced for total imperfection. But what if she loses the general election, or someone more moderate wins the primary, or Warren takes the White House but lacks the votes in the Senate to pass single payer? Then the drug stocks can roar. At this point, even if she takes a big lead in the polls, these, these stocks, they've become too cheap to ignore. I say buy one. Stick with Alright, we're worried about time and government because Apple was an amazing quarter. It should be up like 10 points and Facebook was unbelievable. It should be up even more. I think people are starting to say wait a second, we've got to be a little more careful and circumspect about world domination in an election year. I wish I didn't have to think about this stuff But it has become on my mind every time I see some big executive from Silicon Valley go to Washington and I say to myself, are these companies too successful? This one, I sure hope isn't, because it's all done with ingenuity. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim
2: Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.